Hello once again, and thanks for tuning in to the Coffee Boogie. Guys, we're all in the midst right now of a little chaos with this coronavirus. Um, I hope everyone is doing well. Um, I'm taking this time. I've got a couple weeks where I'm not going to be working at the cafe. Um, So I've chosen to take this time to reach out to baristas, coffee roasters, shop owners, and coffee people um, across the country. Um, I'm having some great interviews, uh, meeting a lot of great people, and sharing a lot of great ideas. Today I've got another interview lined up with Ryan Corbin of Java Joe's. Java Joe's is a drive through coffee uh, here in Salt Lake City. Um, going on 24 years, and it's pretty cool to hear Ryan's story and uh, how he's dealing with the situation at hand. So enjoy the show and give us feedback uh, if you like what we're doing. Thanks. Hey, Good Chad. Good morning, Ryan. How you doing? Doing well, buddy. How you doing this morning? Yeah, we're hanging in there. Hanging in there is a good, good start. Considering Literally. considering all the chaos, did you feel that uh, second earthquake yet last night? Yeah, that was a trip. It's uh, pretty funny being in Utah, right, where we are dealing with all of this and then the cherry on top are earthquakes. <laughs> right. I mean, it's you've crazy. lived here your whole life. I've lived here my whole life, and that's the first experience I've had. Yeah, I, I, I haven't actually lived here my whole life. I've, um, I'm originally from Idaho, but um, yeah, first one I felt in Utah for sure. Yeah. yeah. Awesome, man. Well, thank you for joining me this morning. Yeah, you bet. Um, always happy to talk about coffee, even when I'm not open <laughs> for business. <laughs> Absolutely, dude. Yeah, um, we are recording now. And so if you want to real quick, just maybe give an intro to yourself, tell us you know, what your business is. Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Ryan Corbin, and uh, my brother and I are the owners and founders, and as well as we operate two of the locations. We have five. It's the company is called Java Joe's. They're they're drive through only with walk up and bike up as well. Um, we started in 1996. Um, way before coffee was even that cool. Um, and we've been doing it for, it'll be 25 years come January, 2021. So been around for a while and, uh, always locally owned, locally operated. And just like a little family with between our five locations, we've got, uh, 46 people that work for us and, uh, depend on these jobs and we're deeply integrated into the local economy. 100%. Yeah. So you've got around 46 people total. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Are all your locations shut down right now? Are you still functioning uh, with the to-go orders? Well, basically last week, um, you know, I was standing in one of the locations and I just was watching our operation and yeah, we're only to go, you know, drive through that is, and we're, we're taking all kinds of extra measures, um, 
you know, ex, you know, hand sanitizer. We had a, a hand washing protocol that we were based pretty much on a timer on, um, you know, the, the vinyl and or latex gloves. Um, we had, we gotten rid of straws and we give a little chocolate bean on the cup and we had gotten rid of that. Um, we were not allowing the person that was handling the money to handle the food in any way, including even handing out the drinks. Um, so we'd done all of these things, but I was watching this and the reality is, is that we don't know who is infected and that includes the staff and we don't know who that is coming through was infected. And unfortunately we are still a little unclear on the science of transmission. We know that if somebody coughs on you, you know, and you're within range or, and they're infected, you sounds like you have a pretty high probability of getting it. Um, but the surfaces aspect of things was a little bit unclear. I've been to the CDC website and they have talking about some surfaces it's lasting for three hours and some surfaces it's lasting for longer. And can you, can you get it from a surface? Well, if you do this and if you don't do that, and, um, you know, I've got single moms that work for me. I've got, um, younger people that work for me, certainly Gen Z and on the younger side of the millennials. Um, I've got some older people that work for me. I'm in Gen X myself. Um, and I got two kids and one on the way. Um, and I'm like, I, I can't get sick. I don't want to get this thing. And I've been following this news pretty closely. I've got a lot of friends in the medical community. And I frankly don't think it's been taken serious enough. It's it's a big deal to go to a hospital and be put on a ventilator if that's what it comes to, or even just put on oxygen because you can't breathe. And some people are dying because of it. And we're not, we haven't been talking about that. I see, sweetie. Right. And so I made the decision that we are going to shut down. And it was a tough decision to decide to shut down your company that you've been, that you founded when you were, you know, in your early twenties and have never been closed other than, you know, normal holidays for a day in your life. So yeah, it was brutal. Not to mention the people that work for me and I had to tell them all immediately apply for unemployment. Prior to that, we had made, we had made working a volunteer basis and we had told people, uh, okay, if you don't want to come in, if you don't want to work, you don't have to work and we'll pay you, you know, a hundred dollars a week. It's like, all. Oh, you know, we're not sitting on a huge pool of cash. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where it is. And, I, and the idea is now is that um, I am working on with another company on developing, well, not even developing, we're just going to get, there's this app out there that's going to look like it's a Java Joe app. And so we can go to full contactless ordering. We don't have to deal with the credit card or any kind of clipboard or anything like that. And, we're going to have a reduction in staff, so we'll never have more than two people, and they can maintain a six-foot distance for each other. We'll go back to a um, volunteer basis as well, and if you don't want to work, you don't have to work if you don't feel safe. Um, but we're going to get it in a way that I feel much more comfortable with from protecting my staff as well as protecting the 
uh, Java Joe customers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think a couple things. Um, you know, it's sad that we don't trust our government and we don't trust the media, you know, and so we've really given this like a lack of respect just for that reason. And now we're looking around going, oh, shit, this actually is important. Yeah, the the major problem is when, when you're looking at it from a business standpoint, there's nothing business likes least less than uncertainty. And I mean, they're kicking this thing back to the business community for political cover and they keep wanting business to do something. And some the problem there is, is that business in general, the business's natural nature is to make money. It is antithetical for a business to stop making money voluntarily. They're just not going to do that. Now, you know, you're talking about a small local company. It's a little bit different because, yes, I absolutely want to make money and I have to make money. But I also want to protect the safety and health of people. Um, and so I have to, you know, I had to decide which was more important. And we left a lot of money on the table. I mean, every day we're closed. It's it's killing me. And it's killing me to know that my staff is out there not making money because, yeah, they rely on this job. And it's like, well, where are they going to go? It's not like anybody's hiring in in our sector anyway. I mean you know so it's it is tough i i think the the it's cliche to to um rip on trump um but the extent to which this guy has punted on his responsibility is is shocking because we're still not talking about what's coming which is millions and millions of infections and in the tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of deaths. And the world is going to look a lot different if the United States is racking up deaths in the six figure numbers. Mm -hmm. And people need to be prepared for that. You know, I read all there's just, there's really good articles out there written by scientists and written by mathematicians that demographics are not hard to figure out. We are going to be Italy in a function in a matter of weeks, maybe, I mean, month at a, at the best, and that is just insanity to me. So I wanted to sort of figure out if there was any way. I mean, they're probably not going to shut us all the way down because that's just not America. They're just going to let people die. But um, I think Utah's doing a decent job. Yeah, we the health department, you know, kind of just shutting things down. Um, I actually work at Nordstrom E-Bar, uh-huh. <clears throat> so I'm the manager at that coffee shop there. And yeah, little by little, we were taking those precautions, and then we had to get rid of the dining area. And then they said, well, we're shutting the actual Nordstrom store as well. So yeah, we're all sitting home now. Yeah, I think that they should shut everything down for three weeks. I I really do. I mean, I personally think that the that drive throughs that everything should be shut down for two to three weeks until we and by that time at the end of two to three weeks you're gonna you're gonna know who's sick and we will have prevented the transmission hopefully between uh non-symptomatic people the problem with having drive throughs open is is that drive throughs give reason to people to leave the house 
Yeah. And really we're trying to prevent that right now. Like, you know, if I'm open at five locations and I recognize that it's a tiny, tiny, the tiniest drop in the bucket, because of course, Starbucks, beans and brew, all the other local guys are open. Um, I just didn't think it was the right thing to do. That's what it came down to. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, it's hard to identify who's sick. I think that's the hardest part. It's impossible to identify without them just, you know, being, you know, I was in the grocery store last night and there's people coughing all around you, but you don't know, are they just having allergies or do they have just a normal cold or who knows? So, you know, until that person coughs on somebody whose immune system is compromised or otherwise just not as healthy. And that person can't breathe. And then 15 days later, they're dead. Um, you don't know, you know, I've got a 78 year old dad and a 75 year old mom. So, you know, this shit matters to me. Um, yeah. And I was, I was just dumbfounded by that spring break scene that was on the news. I don't know if you caught that. I, I'm trying to avoid as much like media as possible. Yeah. But so, I, you know, try not to bury my head in the sand, but at the same time, I got to stay positive as possible. Yeah. Well, my recommendation is stay positive for sure, but also get really good information. And if the, this information is kind of like, it's sort of like the global warming information that we get. Either you buy the science or you don't. Mm-hmm. And if you buy the science, which is extrapolated from the way the virus moved through Iran, Italy, China, and how, and then alternatively, how it moved through South Korea and Singapore and what they did, you look at what those com- those countries did to shut it down versus what the countries where it spread rapidly and has taken a major toll, which would be uh, China, Iran, and Italy. <clears throat> we That's just where we are right now. Mm-hmm. And what is that going to mean is it's... it's it's hard to hard to imagine what it's going to mean, but we're going to find out real fucking soon, unfortunately. Right. Yep. Shit, brother. Crazy. All right. Well, thanks for thanks for talking to me. You got another 10 minutes? Uh, sure. I'd like to know a little bit more about your your history, because, you know, I'd like to dig a little deeper, like go back 24 years and what got you boys into the game? Well, um. So, like I said, I, I went to the University of Idaho. I graduated from college in 1994. Uh, and um, the <clears throat> there was this little drive through coffee shop that was just in this the Palouse Empire Mall. And a buddy of mine, the, the, the day that I went up there to walk for graduation, we're sitting in this bar at 1 a.m. and he's talking about this business and how it's a you know he did this report on it anyway a year later i moved to utah to uh kind of be a ski bum and my plan was i was going to law school i'd gotten into law school and then i thought when i'm here i'm living in salt lake and i was like god there's no coffee shops here and i knew about the mormon thing like i'm from idaho you know but i was like there's gotta be some sinners here 
And uh, so I asked my, I mentioned one day to my, on my, on the phone to my dad, I was like, God, it's crazy. There's no coffee here. He's like, Oh, we should start a drive through coffee shop. The other thing is, is that my family, my parents are from, my dad's from Belling, uh, Olympia and my mom's from Bellingham, Washington. So we always oriented ourselves growing up with the great Northwest. So we, <clears throat> and there'd been drive through coffee shops over there for a long time in the early nineties. And of course you had Starbucks and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, I was, he was like, I'll loan you money to, if you want to start the first one. And, and I, I was like, oh shit, I'm young. What the hell? I can always go back to law school. So we started looking, trying to figure out how to do it. And that was a, you know, no, we didn't know what to do. And it, I didn't know shit about business. I had been an English major with a pre-law emphasis. I mean, I, I didn't know anything about anything. I didn't even drink coffee. Um, and whatever, it took us about a year and a half to get this thing open. And so by January of 96, we had this little tiny eight by eight shack in the Kmart parking lot on 9th East and 4670 South, which Kmart is gone and we are still there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we had no business. Um, and I was working, my brother and I were working, you know, all day, all night. And we we're waiting tables at night you know, after we closed the shop down and, um, and then about six months after opening, opening that one, the guy that we had been buying our little stamp cards from this Iranian guy, um, he's like, Hey, I've got this corner market in the avenues that's vacant. Are you interested? And I thought, well, shit, if you can't sell coffee in the avenues, where can you sell coffee? So I went up there and there's this place called Abby's Market. And there's this little corner gas station that was basically sold, you know, porn videos and beer <laughs> to underage kids. And I looked at this and I said, okay, well, we can deal with this. And so I signed a lease with him. And then me and my brother and a buddy of mine from college worked um remodeling this thing and we didn't we did all of it our on our own we had no money and uh literally when i say built it from the ground up like we dug the foundation to build to extend to make a drive-through window and the city didn't know what to do with us they like drive through coffee you know the cafe espresso had opened a year earlier um at their location on ninth ninth uh, south and 11th east and, you know, but they still just weren't really sure. We, drive-thrus weren't allowed in the avenues, but they really wanted us to be open. They thought it was kind of a cool thing. And so they gave us this sort of, they created a special little business model or business classification for us just to be open in the avenues. Nice. So then we were able to get that like a year later to get that open. And, um, and that was brutal because now it was just me and my brother and we had like three employees. So he and Chad and I were working. Chad's the name of my brother. Um, we were working from five thirty to seven every day, seven days a week. And that, that was not sustainable. Um, we were only able to do that for about six months and we got a little busier, you know, and, and, uh, and we just sort of had those two locations and we had two locations for about, I guess three years, three or four years. When, well, maybe it was longer than that. Maybe it was like 
when did we open that one? Yeah, it was like six years. And uh, then there was this location that I'd always wanted and I thought it would be good. And I kept deferring law school. And eventually I just said, okay, I'm not going to go to law school. I'm going to do coffee. And, you know, it was fun to be in coffee. And we were lucky to be in a business that was growing organically throughout the country. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we were two kids that didn't know shit about anything. And the thing was, is you got to realize in the nineties, coffee wasn't about, um, you know, it wasn't hyper local at all. Like it is now. And it wasn't, you know, anything like what the third wave is or, or any of that. It was all about Starbucks. It was Starbucks. And so we, when we opened our first store, we opened the only sizes we had were eight ounce, 12 ounce and 16 ounce. And, um, and we just called them what Starbucks called them because we didn't know. I mean, I was 24 years old. So, okay, if that's the size of the coffee. You just call it a short, a tall and a grande. And <laughs> to this day, that's still what we call it. Um, and I remember customers coming through asking like, could we get, could, would you guys be interested? You know, would you want, we want bigger sizes. Mm-hmm. And I was just was shocked. I thought you want more than six More sugars. <laughs> more than 16 ounces? I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And so eventually I gave in and, you know, we put a 20 ounce size in and that flew off the shelf. And our cup person was like, you know, we have this other size. We have this 24 ounce size. And I was like, no. That's just <laughs> what what would we even do with that? And I pushed that off for I, years until I got just better at my job, basically. And I was like, oh, my God, of course, we'll do 24 ounce now. And recently, I even thought about doing a 32 ounce one. And I kicked it around for a long time because, you know, a lot of people are doing that for iced. Right. And uh, I pulled the plug on that, though. Just, And that was because there's a. It, be, it it took a long time to make the 32 ounce ice drink and I didn't think it would, I thought it would make us a little bit less efficient. Yeah. Um, Pulling shots and adding. All yeah. That. It just takes, it's a long time to make that one drink. And the truth is, is you make a little bit less money from, from a margin standpoint on that size because everything associated with that is so expensive. You got to put so much flavor into it. You got to put so much and there's still a threshold. I mean, you know, are you going to, are you going to be able to charge somebody seven fifty eight bucks? You know, maybe I don't know, but I just felt like it just felt gluttonous to me, so I just didn't want to be a part of it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's kind of how. And then you know, we when we opened our third location in two thousand and six, that was, you know, so we'd been op- we opened our first one in ninety six, and we didn't open our third one until two thousand six. So ten years we've been in business working these two stores, and it took us to get until we got the third one. That's when we started making a little bit of money. Finally, um, prior to that, you know, if you, I don't know if you've ever heard, you know, so you, if you have one location, you've sort of bought yourself a job and that's really what we had because, you know, I had a job and then my brother had a job and then we had this third one. And now we're kind of figuring out a little bit more, but we're still very much, it's all very much Starbucks oriented. It's all very much, and not only Starbucks, but also Italy, too. Like, it was Europe. It was a European thing. So when we first opened, you know, we used an Italian coffee um, because that's what the market wanted. That's what people were interested in, something. This was an exotic product. This is a new thing. Like, oh, Italian espresso machines, you know, Italian 
So we use an Italian coffee, which to this day we still use the Lazza. Um, and it's, I think it's a great espresso. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we still basically kind of knock off Starbucks to, to tell the truth. You know, we're not, we are not the stump town coffee roaster cop drive through coffee shop by any means. We're not doing pour overs. It doesn't really work for our model. Right. Um, I mean, and I love all those coffees. That's, that's all interesting stuff. And I love where coffee's gone. I love where the third wave has taken it. Um, it's just not what we do. Yeah. And then, yeah, as time marched on, we thought, you know, we eventually we found this location across from East High School. And that was um, pretty exciting to find that one. Um, and that was, we were buying that one right in the midst of the financial crisis. And that was scary. But I thought, oh my God, if I can't sell coffee on this corner across the street from a high school on the way to the University of Utah, on the way to downtown, and yeah, I knew it was really close to one of our competitors, like really close. But I figured it was a different traffic pattern and it turned out to be right. So it worked yeah. out. Yeah. And you got one. And we just opened our fifth location um, in the, Mil- the Mill Creek area, um, pretty much on the corner of 3300 South and 2300 East. And that was super exciting because that was a double-sided drive-through model. And we got to build the kind of store that back in 1996, when I would sit in the Kmart parking lot in our little eight by eight shack, either dying from heat because the air conditioning unit that we had sucked so bad or (laughs) freezing my balls off because, you know, it was not insulated very well. And I'd sit in there and I just sort of, in my mind, sketched the perfect double-sided drive-through coffee shop. And I, it took me 24 years to be able to build that coffee shop, which is now the Mill Creek store, which is a beautiful, gorgeous store. And it's, it's in a great spot. And it's going to be a busy store if the fucking world doesn't end. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's super disappointing to have shut everything down because, you know, we're coming up uh, the one year anniversary for that store is uh, May 19th and we were just on a really good trajectory and we're really getting in with the community there and people love us being up there and we got a great staff and shutting everything down is just it's heartbreaking really so it sucked but we're gonna get through it and people are gonna drink coffee the good news about coffee is is that even if you don't have any money you got enough what do you do with five bucks? <laughs> right. Coffee will never go away. Yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. think it will, but it's still a cheap luxury. You know what I mean? I always tell people, oh, it's cost you it's $5 price, but it's a $6 value. So you're making money. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. I mean, I myself, I grew up here in Utah and I would say that you're, your older shops kind of paved the way for me getting into coffee because, you know, that one in the Kmart parking lot in the nineties, like I would go to Kmart to collect toys. Yeah. So I would show up, I'd get my latte from you guys and I'd run through Kmart to collect my hot wheels and shit. Yeah. You know, and then you were a customer. Really? That's awesome. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, (laughs) and, and yeah, like, 
I watched your growth and, uh, and I admire the model too, because, you know, I tried building a coffee truck. I've seen dozens and dozens of brick and mortars go under. Yeah. And you guys have a great model. You, you, you invite people to experience coffee, you know, and then maybe their palate changes over time, but you know, you are offering an introductory, some of your drinks are delicious. You know, you got the big billboard overhead where, yeah, you know, that was a huge business move. I thought having those billboards a block away from your shop. You're right. I mean, the billboards were instrumental in just announcing that we are here and people just, you know, for, I would talk to people and they'd be like, where are you? Or, or people would drive through, you know, customers would come in. And they'd be like, how long have you guys been here? I'd be like, 10 years. Like, I never noticed you before. And I think the last time somebody said that to me, whatever, 10 years ago, I was like, we are going to, I got to get a fucking billboard. I got to do something because people just don't see us, you know? Yeah. And that really, the billboards really changed our business, actually. Um, and, you know, I never, I do get, sometimes I get a little frustrated that people don't think you can have a quality cup of coffee out of a drive-thru i'm like well why not what is it how much space do you need to make coffee mm-hmm. <laughs> how much space do you need you know um and we buy i mean we buy all of our all of our espresso machines are top of the line whether you some people are marzocco people and we've had multiple marzocos and some people are chimbley people i personally like the chimbley better i've we've had um, a couple of marzocco machines they're fine. I think they're a little finicky. Um, I know it's like the it's the it's like the gold standard in the third wave. Um, I like the way the chimbley works better. It's a little. I like the ergonomics of it better. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, yeah, our coffee is not locally roasted. It's not. It's roasted by old Italian men that have been <laughs> roasting it their entire lives. So, yeah, it's and and we could change to a local roaster. It's just that the Lavazza profile, that 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 um, flavor profile is one of our signatures. And I love the espresso. Yeah. Um, And I actually love our drip coffee. That's what I drink. I just drink just drip coffee. So um, and I love lots of other local coffee shops, too. There's a lot of good roasters. There's a lot of roasters that suck, too, though frankly no doubt no doubt. um i mean i would never i i think i'm never rip on any you know i would never say what i think who that would be i think anyone that's opening a company a local business and out there and you're providing a service and you're employing people and you're in the trenches making payroll my hat goes off to anybody doing that 100 percent. yep that's what again you know i've watched you guys grow um and, and well, that's really awesome. Lot. I didn't know that you were a customer way back then. That's cool, man. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, Ryan, again, I, I appreciate you this morning taking a little time. Um, you know, is there anything you want to add or there any questions you have for me? No, just keep the faith. Let's get through this. And, you know, anybody listens to this, definitely support your local coffee shops, even if they're drive through. <laughs> definitely. Keep the um, faith. Yeah. All right, All right. Chad. All right, brother. Have a wonderful day, okay? You too. Thanks. Thanks.
Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the episode here with Ryan Corbin of Java Joe's. Um, If you're in Salt Lake City, I highly encourage you to visit Java Joe's once they reopen. Uh, The coffee is amazing. They've got some really fantastic uh, signature beverages. And one of my favorite things is just the barista family that is there. Uh, They always leave you smiling, uh, making you have a good day on your way to work or wherever you're off to. And thanks to Ryan for taking the time out and... Uh, I feel for him and his situation. Appreciate everything he's doing. So thanks for tuning in, guys.